All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of 4-4 Brew. Today we touched on the U.S.'s monumental win against Mexico. We unfortunately had to talk about Spurs again. We previewed the Euros, and Sam debuts his MLS Minute. Since now everyone in the world knows where I live, it's only fitting that everyone also know Sam's social security number and Nick's credit card information. So stay tuned for that. All right, boys, let's get after it. Hello and welcome into another edition of the 4-4 Brew Pod. We made it to the second episode, boys. We are back. I'm joined once again by Nick Skradsky and Pat Harmon. Nick, how's it feel after a nice U.S. win and uh, a dramatic one at that? Uh, you know what? I couldn't be any happier. Got my uh, Coors Light right here. The mountains are blue. Celebrate, <laughs> boys. Christian Pulisic, Big Ten Days. Here we go. Yes, sir. Also with us is Patrick Harmon. Patty, I know we've got a, a bit of heartbreak to get to for you, but uh, before that, I mean, how do you feel about after that U.S. game? I mean, it helped cancel out what was a shit start to the weekend on the Spurs front, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anything anything will help then. Life as a Spurs fan, am I right? It's a social experiment to see how much pain the human body can endure before it just <laughs> gives out. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, yeah, so... This is the Ethan Horvath Celebration Podcast, as it's officially been coined after last night. Scrad said he's already uh, drinking a nice Coors. I poured myself some celebratory scotch whiskey. And uh, Patrick's, he's, he's, going, he's going sober this week. He's, he's going stone cold sober it, with the water. No, no, no. It's, it's the Monday cleanse. No drinking on Monday. That's Monday how, cleanse. That's how we well, roll over here in the Harmon house. Yeah, you're better than Skradsky and me. But that's, a, that's a story for another day. But yeah, like we've been talking about, the U.S. wins in probably the most dramatic fashion that we've seen in our lifetimes as as U.S. fans. A dramatic 3-2 win over the arch rivals Mexico in Denver. Uh, I mean, we could start so many places here, boys. But uh, have any of you, have you guys seen a more exciting or dramatic or just chaotic game? Beyond just like U.S. games, just a, a soccer game in general. Like, Nick, have you ever seen anything as crazy as what we saw last night? There's very few games that could potentially come to mind, to be fair. And, you know, the ones that did, I never really had stake in. And so when I'm sitting here watching my national team beat our arch rivals in the fashion that they did with everything that was happening in that game, I I think it might take the top spot, honestly. I'd have to agree. I, like I, I, I kind of went through my Rolodex this morning, just trying to think about all, all the all the games that I can think of, and I really I'm not like at the, off the top of my head, nothing nothing springs to mind. What about you, Pat? I think for me, still the Lucas Mora hat trick hero against Ajax takes the cake. <laughs> but that I mean that game was just incre- this U.S. game was incredible to watch and fantastic win for the boys, and they are they all are still boys the average age. Right. Of, 23 it's just against a battle-hardened Mexico team it's never easy to come up against them and it helped that surrounded by your own fans and they were able to gruel out a nice victory right and I'm glad you bring that up too the the average age because last night Mexico's starting lineup the average age was 28 and that that was a number one Mexico team like that if if they're playing in a world cup and and those are the the that's the selection they have they're going to choose those players. That's their starting 11. Um, and so I because I, I think for me, I don't know about for you guys, but I was kind of battling between, you know, was I overreacting last night with with the excitement? Um, you know, in the moment, I think it was easy to just kind of lose yourself. But in, in terms of the, like kind of the grand scheme of this, Pat, where would you put this with it, especially with it being a CONCACAF Nations League final, the first time they've ever run this tournament? I mean, I think it's just great for the boys to get some silverware. Just right. get, build up that confidence early on for these these 23-year-olds. And, I mean, you, we all already know that Pulisic has the, has the trophy-winning experience. But it's nice for the other boys that don't have that yet or don't play for these top European sides 
uh, to get that experience and winning these just brutally tough games in front of what were their own fans, yet half of the stadium is filled with fans of the fans of the opposition. And so right. it, was ju- it may as well have been a, an away fixture, and it was still a brutal atmosphere to play in front of for 90 minutes, and I, it was just incredible to watch. I'm I'm glad you bring up the the trophy thing because I saw a stat this morning on Twitter about how Serginio Dest already has more trophies than his Barcelona uh, teammate Lionel Messi. So I I think that's a that's a pretty good start for those youngsters if I, if I could say so myself. Um, and yeah, so so Pat, I asked you about the with it being the Concacaf Nations League final. I think. A lot of us kind of didn't know what this was going to be like. There was such a long time between kind of the, the, the earlier stages of this tournament, um, which basically, let's be honest, it's a money grab from CONCACAF, trying to copy what UEFA is doing with the Nations League. But, I mean, when you have USA-Mexico in a final, I mean, that's that's kind of the pinnacle for this area of the world. Wouldn't you agree, Scrat? I mean, like, in terms of christening a, 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 a final in a tournament, I, I don't think you could get much better than what we had last night. I mean, if we're talking CONCACAF, we're talking the two big dogs, which is the United States and Mexico. That's how it's always been. And being the inaugural final, it's huge for us to win because you look back in recent history and Mexico had a knack for beating the old guard. When we look back at the guys of Josie Altador, Michael Bradley, Jermaine Jones, etc., they got the best of us a lot of those times. And I think it's a really important and really big step for, like Pat said, these average age 23 in the squad for these kids basically to come out here and beat Mexico's first team that has been their first team for, I'd say, probably the last five or six years or so. Coming out there and making a statement win in the cup final sets a really nice precedent and is a really great first step forward for these guys for probably, you know, the next six to eight years in their uh, USMNT careers. Yeah, I agree. And and I, I think about where we left off with the Honduras game. We talked about it in our last episode. It wasn't a great feeling, you know, <laughs> nicking a 1-0 win in the last seconds, but it, it is kind of CONCACAF. And we, think about this game, too. It starts off in the first minute with that awful back pass from Mark McKenzie uh, to allow uh, Corona to score with literally the first minute. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but once that happened, I was kind of like, like you said, Scrat, I thought it was going to be another final where the U.S. just bottles it and Mexico just goes and, and takes it away. But to be fair, our boy, the young gun Gio Reyna comes in, and that was awesome when he scored in the 27th minute and, and they, they panned to the, to the crowd and you see his dad, a former U.S. player, his mom, also a former U.S. player. Uh, that that was a really cool moment. I think I think... Once we got that goal, because part of me was thinking maybe that that them getting scored on so early would be a good thing for the U.S. in terms of opening up play. And it did in many ways. Uh, and we can get more on the tactical uh, changes as well. But as we go to the second half, uh, I guess we can start with uh, the 69th minute with the injury to Zach Steffen. Pat, when, when you saw Steffen get injured, what was kind of going through your mind uh, at that point? We're, we're 1-1. Uh, coming in with about 20 minutes left in the game. How, how did you expect it to go versus how it actually went? Well, I mean, my first thought was to kind of flip through my notes and see who on earth is coming in goal mm-hmm. and how much of a chance then do we have once... I mean, it's never easy for... You never expect an impact sub to be your goalkeeper. Right. And so, I mean... I was the only thing I was worried about is that he's been sitting on the bench. I mean, he seemed kind of running down the touchline like during, like while the game's progressing. But he's never thinking right. he's going to have to go in, and so I was just worried that he was going to have a little bit of rust, and just kind of not, like used to the feel of the game when you're coming in at kind of the apex of the game, right? Like, where now it's like okay, we really need to put everything on the line. Well, and, and I think you. I think you're being generous by saying he had a warm up. I mean, <laughs> it happened, and and Stefan was kind of standing there, like you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep going, but I think in hindsight, he was probably giving Horvath a little bit more time. Um, but you saw, I think I do think Stefan wanted to go, but uh, you never want to speculate on an injury. But that did not look good. You know, it was a non-contact one, um, and and you feel for the guy because, like we said lot last podcast, he it's not like Stefan is getting a whole lot of chances at City. You know no. what I mean? 
Yeah, and, I mean, when I, when I say warm-up, I'm not talking about, like, a <laughs> right. full, like, 30-minute goalkeeper routine warm-up, like, pre-match. I'm talking, like, he's just trying to stay warm. Like, he's right. jogging up and down the sideline to avoid, like, a cramp. He's not... <laughs> He's not getting ready for the game. He's just like, oh, yeah, I might, maybe I might go in, like, once every 15 games does the goalkeeper <laughs> get injured, in like, during the game where I, he actually has to come off, and he can't exactly. just get medical attention for five, ten minutes and kind of just slow play down. But, like, can, I can't even really remember the last time a goalkeeper was injured like that. Yeah. Like, in if, like, that's ever even happened in a final, right. where then the substitute goalkeeper then has to come on. Like, can you... Does any match like that spring to mind for you? Not off the top of my mind. I mean, if you think about it, when an outfield player comes on for an injury, it is kind of, even if it's early in the in the match, it is just kind of like a regular substitution. But it did have, I mean, it was it was such a significant move with it being the goalkeeper, especially with a guy like Ethan Horvath, 25 years old, playing in Belgium. Nobody really knew what to expect from the guy coming in, right? And mm-hmm. and the car, the cards are kind of stacked against him. And, and, you know, 10 minutes after he comes on, we do let a goal in, but then only three minutes after that, McKinney gets a beautiful goal off a beautiful header. And I think set pieces were an interesting point of this game because defensively, I think we saw a lot of holes, both in open play and on set pieces. But offensively, it, I, I think you could tell that Burhalter must have seen something, whether it was in the tape or something. But they had, they had distinct, clear routines because there were a few different chances where McKinney got ahead on the ball um, and, and couldn't finish away. And fair play to Ochoa. He had some great saves early on. He's still uh, a fantastic goalkeeper. He still has. He's it, totally he? fallen off the face of the earth after it that looked, that 2014 World Cup where he was just pulling saves left and right against Brazil. the world's best. Yeah, against yeah. Neymar of all people from close the range. host nation. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like you like know that he's still like Mex- Mexico's number one, but he's playing. He was playing in Spain for a little bit, I think, after that World Cup, and now he's back in. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's back in playing club football in in Mexico now correct um but yeah i mean some of those his reflexes are still top tier and he is very quick off his line which can just totally throw all of your attacking off a lot of those guys aren't used to that quick of a goalkeeper rushing like bull rushing the player like that right i did want to touch real quick before we move on on mexico's second goal diego yanez i believe is how you right the youngster i just want to say that for anyone listening, if you want someone to keep an eye on in the future, all credit to him. He's an extremely talented individual playing for Real Betis over in Spain. Had a pretty good breakout season this year, and he's someone just to continue to watch in the future because the kid, the kid's a stud. All beef aside between the United States go <laughs> and our and our history and everything, the kid's a stud. I think I think a lot of uh, big things are going to be coming out of him in the future. Well, and you can tell he's one of those players that just naturally has the ability. He knows where to find space. He knows he's where, very, to, where to yeah. set up. He's, he's he, very talented on the ball, too. He can dribble yeah. very nicely. He, he's, he's gifted. And and as we think about the U.S. goal in, in the 82nd minute, the more I think about it, the more – I mean, you can look at to a lot of points in this game and say that was a turning point, right? There were so many just pressure-packed moments and – you know, you, you, we wrote down the show notes here, and I feel like we could have gone on and uh, for seven pages with just everything that happened in the game, whether it was the referee and him just gesticulating like crazy, uh, uh, Mexico's manager getting a red card. It, like, we, this game had everything and more than you could have asked for, right? But I look at that 82nd minute when, when we score a goal, and Berhalter cho- chooses to uh, take Gio Reyna off after he's had a goal and an assist. Interesting move, and, and it's not the first tactical change that he made that was that was kind of uh that raised some 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 eyebrows um but then we also see tyler adams come on for reem and and scrad i know we talked about the importance of tyler adams in this team and i think i think you saw it once he came on uh uh, in that holding midfielder position uh coming off honestly really fresh off off an injury too absolutely you know i think after coming fresh off the injury like you said he did a really good job and He's someone that you can throw in there to kind of solidify the midfield. He's got a lot of great experience from the Bundesliga in the past. I think he's someone in, in high in a high stress scenario like this. You know, you've got what um, eight nine minutes left in regular time. He's someone to kind of throw in there. Let's lock it down. The odds are we're going to go to extra time, so let's get someone in there with some legs who's going right. to dictate that midfield, especially from that center defensive position. And and 
like I said, Burhalter made some interesting subs, but to his credit, I would say that they all worked. And part part of that is saying because they didn't none of them costed us. I think everybody was kind of looking at Mark McKenzie and saying, you know, he 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 might need to be subbed off, especially after that first pass <laughs> in the first minute. But give him credit too because he battled back. Uh, and, and, and that's not an easy position to be in, especially in that atmosphere like Pat was talking about earlier. I mean, that, that, that's a tough atmosphere to make a mistake like that. And it doesn't help. It, there was totally dodgy CONCACAF, typical CONCACAF officiating, as we would mentioned previously. Um, uh, and, and as we went into extra time, Pulisic in the 115th minute won a penalty. And I'm interested to hear your guys' take, total unbiased take, if it's possible, with, with the U.S.-Mexico, on whether that was a penalty, because Maurice Adu on the broadcast talked about how he wasn't totally sure it was a penalty, but I I'm, I, I, I mean, they were in Denver, so maybe, you know, he was high or something. I, I, I don't understand how he how he could say that wasn't a penalty. He totally impeded the progress of Pulisic, but maybe you guys disagree. Well, I mean, I think... It's great. Continue. I was going to say, okay, as... As someone that previously played center back back in the glory days, <laughs> first of all, let's not be stabbing in the box like that, okay? Right. He cuts off six <clears throat> pass to the ball. If you're going to throw in a tackle or get in the way, you need to be touching the ball first, and that clearly didn't happen. He cuts off his path, and, you know, it's part of the game these days, but Pulisic makes contact with him, and he goes down, and that's just part of the game. Win the penalty yeah. in the game. I definitely think that's a penalty no matter what. And now it might have been a small little error in there. You know, it's there. It's not him punching him in the box or going uh, studs out into the ankle. But it's like Herrera did. In the box. <laughs> yeah. And that's a penalty kick. And that's it is like I think it was the right call. And I'm glad the decision was made. I mean, the only reason that that center back was able to get to the ball is because he takes out Pulisic's like right leg. Right, mm-hmm. like if he doesn't step in front of him like that and clip his leg, he doesn't win the ball. And Pulisic just threw on goal again. Well, he's just it, cutting through that defense like a knife through hot butter. And for me, it was a clear. He just clearly impeded his progress. Like I, I don't know how else to, to, really explain it in terms of that's kind of a clear cut penalty, at least in my book. Um, and I mean, <clears throat> as as we're talking about officiating, and of course that was a VAR decision as well. Uh, not not the last one either. But uh, uh, I mean, in terms of, of where you could give cards and penal- and and fouls and, and all that, you would think that Weston McKinney getting choked by a Mexican player for <laughs> the second time that he's played Mexico that that's happened. You would think you know maybe perhaps that could be a yell as well. But I think the the ref thought otherwise. But I, I do want to sit and pause on this Pulisic moment because this I tweeted about it. I was like this this is now my favorite U.S. goal. And it wasn't even because it. I mean, it was a fantastic pen. I mean, as he said, he was like in the post game interview. He was like, "Well, I just I had to put a top bins. You could tell that he's been in England now. You know, he's saying top bins <laughs> and all that stuff." But he scores it, and you and you see the elation from all these guys. You can you can tell that these guys. I mean, we already know that these guys love playing with each other. They hang out when they're in Europe, and they're not you know playing it. And you could just see the passion. I mean. Pulisic immediately, the shirt's off. I mean, it, it took half a second. That thing is off, and he's swinging it. And they immediately go to the Mexico section, and he's he's shushing them. They're like they're they're bringing the beer on. They're like saying, "Bring on all the beer." And of course, Mexico fans take it a little step too far, start throwing things. Of course, Gio Reyna gets absolutely domed by a, a full Coke can, mind you. <laughs> uh, but but when you boys saw, I don't know about you. I, I mean, I think local time here. Uh, Central Time. It was, I think, maybe like eleven thirty or so. Oh and, yeah. And my girlfriend was already two hours asleep, but I couldn't. I couldn't hold it. In. I was screaming. I took my shirt off too. I could. I couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> hold it in anymore. Because, especially as a U.S. fan, you think about all that we've been through with twenty eighteen and just all these lackluster performances. Always losing to Mexico in a final. Uh, Scrad for you, when when that when he scored that, first of all, did you think he was going to score it? And second of all. What what kind of went through your mind after that? Um, did I think he was going to score it? Absolutely. I think he's calm, cool, and collected. And while he may have not had the best game, I think that's a great opportunity for him to step up and show why he's the captain and why he's going to continue to lead this team for the next 10 years. Second of all, I really, really just appreciated that goal and that celebration. I think the Shushing celebration was very, very like it was a perfect way to end off the game because 
the amount of disrespect that not only the Mexico national team, but a lot of the fans had for the stadium and for our players was really frustrating me throughout the game. You know, players are going to throw in the ball. They're going to celebrate. They're just standing near the sideline, and they are getting beamed with constant things like right. popcorn, full bottles of water, Coke, all these. Well, we even saw a U.S. A, a U.S. player was missed by one of the bottles, and it hit one of the Mexican yeah, players. Exactly. <laughs> and I, there's just there's a level of respect that needs to be had because you don't see things like this happen over in England or in Europe per se. Like it's not it's not a common thing. And it's really frustrating to just see the disrespect to the uh, the players, the stadium, even the own Mexican players. And I think you know, shut them up. Say, hey, we're the better team tonight. We won. Yeah, we put this away against all odds too. Against your first, team. Right. we came out here, the young boys. We did it, and so I don't know. That meant a lot to me. I think it kind of shows a changing of the guard in Concacaf, especially. I agree, and and. You touched on a good point. It it is frustrating to see those things, um, especially because you know I grew up I grew up with a lot of Mexican friends and we would watch USA Mexico and it was always like a fun thing to do. We play each other on FIFA, and and uh, you know the Mexico fans. This game was actually it was paused for a second because they did their their homophobic chant that Concacaf has been quote unquote trying to stop. Um, that they they well they did it the whole game and then they choose to stop it in the ninety second minute, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I think. What's frustrating for me um, is that, you know, Mexico has a lot of uh, majority of their fans are good fans. You know, they're not they're not bad people. But you see Absolutely. a lot of these you see a lot of these act, these bad actors at these these games. Uh, that it is it is frustrating because it does kind of spoil a good event. But I will say, I love that it all happened because it made it that much sweeter. It made it made the shushing celebration that much sweeter. And you saw the players embrace it like they were getting beer tossed on them and they loved it. I mean, they're thirsty. Yeah. They're thirsty. They want a quick drink. Exactly, and, and 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 you're right in 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 the fact that you think about past U.S. players who embrace this, specifically Landon Donovan. The Mexican national team and Mexico fans despise Landon Donovan because he brought that all on. When when the, I remember him playing in Azteca, taking a corner, and he's like, "Well, I'm not just going to take this corner because they're throwing stuff at me, so I don't need to take the corner, right?" And then uh, somebody threw like a pair of sunglasses on, and he put them on one time. It's like. <laughs> It's like guys like that who can embrace that moment and not let it get to them. I mean, I mean, those are the guys who are gonna are gonna win in those circumstances. I think we saw that last night, but of course that wasn't the last play of the game. The last play of the game came in the 124th minute when Guardado won a penalty. Well, I don't know if he won the penalty, but uh, he took the penalty, and you know people are saying it was a Guardado miss, but I'm inclined to say it was a Horvath save, Pat. When, when, when you saw Horvath save that, and first of all, I guess, first of all, when you saw the penalty given, what was running through your mind? I My first reaction was VAR is going to give that as a pen. There's no chance that they don't, uh, which just shows the state of VAR, how it's just taking all of the passion out of the game. And you love it when it helps you, and you right. despise it when it goes against you. But if I'm being completely honest, Ethan Horvath has no business saving that penalty. That was... <laughs> I told you guys last night that that I honestly think that that is, if not the best penalty I have ever seen saved in my entire life. The way that he got down on the line, his his fingertips are on the post. That was a perfectly taken penalty. It struck with power, and his accuracy was some of the best accuracy I've seen. It's worth and, it's worth noting too that wasn't just his first save. He had a, a he had one uh, save where he do, he dove to the left and he just brought his right hand over and and, and tipped it over the uh, the bar on a, a shot from outside the box. He came in and it looked like he I mean he was immediately in the zone and you know he I saw he was on Sports Center this morning and well first of all I, I guess after the end of the game they interviewed him and he was probably the most awkward interview I've ever seen on a live sports game. <laughs> that kid that kid did not know what to do with himself. But fair play to him because he came in and he was he was a man possessed. I, I like Pat. You mentioned earlier if 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 we've ever seen a performance like that from a keeper coming in, I have not. That was it. It was an insane performance and you know pool six scores and all that. But who knows what this game would be like if it went to penalties? 
I mean, it could have been anybody's game, right? I, I mean, I, I feel like we lose if we go to penalties. That would have just sucked the air out of that stadium. Especially with Mexico's experience and everything. All those guys have been to plenty of penalty shootouts before where you look at our young boys who realistically probably haven't been in that much of a high-stakes scenario in their career before. Exactly. And, and, and I think as we wrap up this U.S. analysis, you, you, you think about – I've heard a lot of people in the U.S. media talking about, like, what does this win really mean for the grand scheme of things? And to be honest, I don't think we know yet. I think we'll we'll find out when World Cup qualifying starts. We'll see if this spurs us on. Because to be honest, I think now the, the Gold Cup, we're going to play a B squad. Um, they're, they're just going to want to keep the players healthy. Um, and uh, seeing the way that they celebrated, you can see how much this meant to the players. And you have to think that it'll, it'll spur them on, don't you, Pat? I Yeah, I mean, I love the grit from the team going down in the first minute it's never an easy an easy task but one thing i do want to bring up is <laughs> uh with deandre yedlin of course played for spurs many years ago now now that he's won a trophy does this now add to the ever-growing list of players who have left spurs <laughs> hoping <laughs> hoping for glory who have now left and won a trophy does that if we, does if he we become can... like the 89th player in the last like 13 years that has left the club and 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 reached the reached the promised land. <laughs> if we count Serginho Des as bettering Messi for international trophies, I'm all for it at this. Oh, point. Absolutely, <laughs> there, there's a curse at that oh, club. Absolutely, and and I'm glad you mentioned Yedlin though because I think uh, that was another tactical move by by Berhalter that raised some eyebrows. But to his credit, it worked, and 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 I think his thinking probably was at this point Yedlin's one of the more experienced players, right? And I think you saw it that when he was out there, he seemed very calm and collected. And how could he, how could he not be? He plays in Turkey. I mean, they shoot fireworks at you in the middle of a game in Turkey. Like this was just like a this was a this was a preseason friendly to him for for anything. But 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 Scrat, I, I know you've shared a lot of your passion on this game. But in the grand scheme of things, how, how do you think this will play out in in terms of this new era of, of U.S. soccer? You know, overall, I'm just really impressed by the amount of maturity had we had, especially when it mattered, going down in the first minute and still being able to battle back and win this game, coming up in the big moments when necessary. Like we said, set pieces, huge. Being able to defend because Mexico threw on an onslaught in the last, you know, what was that, 10 minutes of extra time. Our boys were able to sit back and they were able to do it when they mattered. And if we can do that at 23... I can't imagine what all those guys can do when they're 28, 29, 30 years old at the peak of their careers. I think, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead. There's still a lot that needs to be done. But overall, this is the first step in the great eight to ten years in the United States national team. I'm super excited to see what uh, this brings. I agree. And and when you think about, like I said earlier, where, where this U.S. team has, has been – and how young this team is that that is it, it's such a leap of growth in terms of maturity especially just from that Honduras game right and and you, and you're right everything <laughs> wasn't perfect but i think what people seem to forget when it comes to international soccer is that you play so few games and when you play it matters so much cuz it's often in tournaments sometimes you just have to get the win and when it comes to playing in concacaf that could not be more true and i i think you're right scrad this experience can only be valuable but it's up to the players if they want to make it, you know, this 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 tide turning sort of event, which I think it very could well be, but I think time will only tell, um, and we'll, we'll we'll see in the World Cup qualifiers. Um, and as we're speaking of international tournaments, I think it's only right to, to switch to the Euros. But before we switch to the Euros, it's important to uh, to emphasize to, uh, to to let let Pat emphasize. Uh, what happened with Spurs and you know we spent Pat we spent last episode I mean I don't know maybe 20 minutes 25 minutes talking about where Spurs could go with this and we I don't know about you but in my mind Conte was kind of a solidified truth here it was kind of a done deal it, reading that on Friday right as I was about to leave work just shat on my weekend before the weekend could even begin so Antonio Conte flew to London, had a meeting with Daniel Levy, and they were there were gap. There's a reported three million euro gap in the contract that he wanted. He wanted to bring over four or five of his inter 
assistant coaches, and Spurs said he could only bring three, which is such a ludicrous thing to not hire a coach on, but I'm not going to even – I'm trying to keep this at a tight five minutes, so I won't – I could talk about that for ten. Um, Pochettino definitely isn't coming now, now that he personally called Jeannie Wijnaldum five or ten times to hijack that transfer from – from Barcelona now going to PSG, which I'm sure we'll probably touch on. If if not today, then in another pod. But uh, the only silver lining I can see out of this really is that Fabio Paratici, the Juve sporting director, is essentially signed, sealed, delivered. But we also said that about right. Conte last week, so I'm not getting my hopes up. But apparently he's already been talking with Daniel Levy about players to sell, players to bring in. Uh, he's having a he's His first task has already been to find a new manager, so we'll see. Daniel Levy is still set the date to hire a new manager before the Euros. <laughs> so with the Euros starting in almost 72 hours, we'll see how feasible that is with really nothing coming out of coming out of the forest with who's who they've been talking to, who's rumored. Um, but I feel like that Partici, if he does sign, he'll be huge with uh, bringing new players in, with especially a lot of Juve guys who seem to be kind of right. on the way out, uh, specifically – Paulo Dybala is rumored with Spurs again for the times. third time in as many years. Uh, Dejan Kulishevsky, the Ukrainian youngster, is rumored with us as well. Leonardo Benucci is also on that list, which I would not like that transfer, and I feel as if I'm the only Spurs fan who agrees with that. He's 34. I would have guessed older. And I looked it up today, actually. I think it's him and Chiellini are so interchangeable right. in my mind that I... I know that Benucci's younger, but it's not by much. And Nothing says I, Spurs like ancient center backs. <laughs> I, I, for like they're trying to bring him in to teach Joe Rodon the young, the young Welshman. Young Who Welsh I rate, I like, then, I like him a lot. Uh, I I loved that signing. I think he's going to be former, fantastic former for us Swans down the road. Guy, I like him a lot. Yeah, um, but I mean, they're rumored to be maybe talking to Eric Ten Hag, the IX manager again, but he just triggered another year contract on. His Ajax deal. Grant Potter, for some fucking reason, is in that list. The Brighton manager. <laughs> Brighton nearly got fucking relegated. I I, I don't see the, the draw there. You can't put all of it on Brighton's inability to score, which go goes straight to the manager, I must say. And, but honestly, literally anybody other than Ten Hag, I feel like, would be a complete disaster. If they can't find anybody by Friday... Give Ryan Mason the job again for a year and just see what he can do. I mean, he won three out of five with really just two disaster games against Leeds and Villa that did define our season. I must say, <laughs> but I, I mean, he—it's he, just so upsetting that Daniel Levy, for really no reason, got rid of Mourinho. Which I mean, he was going to get rid of him at the end of the season, which. I mean, which, to be fair, would have been the right move because then you have a summer to find a manager. And now they sacked him with no clear plan with they were looking to maybe bring in Julian Nagelsmann, who's already who signed with Bayern the second a whiff of maybe going to Spurs came came to light. Um, So so, Pat, if, if you're in a chairman role at Spurs and you're making this decision and you you have these options or I guess any option out in in Europe or in world football right now. Who would Patrick Harmon bring in right now with the options that you have left? I would definitely bring in Eric Ten Hag if he wants to come. I mean, he's he stated before that he would love to coach in England and I think really there's really no other managerial role that he would take that's going to open up anytime soon. So, right. I feel like he would be a good one, but I mean at the same time, we are we now have the record for the longest a top-flight European team has been without a manager. So that that's really fun. That's an awesome statistic to have attached to our team. <laughs> so now, if it doesn't, if it didn't already seem that we were desperate for a manager, now literally everybody in the world knows that we are so unbelievably desperate for a manager, and it's just it's just pathetic. And that might that might be the most Spurs stat I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> my 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 Twitter feed one is of just many, been flooded. Sam, one of many. Yeah, it just it, my Twitter feed has just been flooded upon flooded with just negative Spurs news, and it's like why why do I do this to myself? <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand why I continue to support Daniel Levy. 
he can just with no other really no other words to say, Daniel Levy can just fuck right off. He has done nothing but just drag the team through the mud for the like ten years that he's been chairman of the team. And that seems. He, that seems and like now, twenty seventeen eighteen, you announced that you made a profit of like a hundred and thirteen million pounds, which is like the most an English team has ever recorded. And then that summer, you don't buy a single player, and you still have Pochettino under contract. If like if he was willing to give these this amount of funds to Mourinho, and then whoever the fuck they're going to bring in in the next three days, why on earth did he not give that that purse to Poch? Imagine the team that he could have assembled. With the chemistry of that team coming out of that near title winning season in sixteen seventeen, you let him bring in the players he wants. That team is much more different than it is today, and we're, we don't have to deal with oh Harry Kane's going to leave every goddamn month of the season. <laughs> and that seems like a perfect note to end off our Spurs topic. <laughs> Daniel Levy can fuck off. Thank you, Pat. And with that, we'll transition into what we promised last week, but. Quite frankly, it was our first podcast. We didn't know how to time anything out. But we're getting into it this week, and uh, we would like to send our apologies to Zach Self on Twitter, who asked us uh, uh, our very first fan question. And uh, we'd like to tip our cap to him. Uh, and Zach Self, he asks, the best-looking squad on paper for this upcoming Euros. And so we figured that would be a great uh, question to jump in to a whole Euros analysis uh, coming up for this summer. Of course, the Euros start on uh, this Friday, um, and it should be a pretty good tournament. I mean, considering how they expanded the tournament to 24 teams last uh, last year or last time around in 2016, and I actually I thought it was pretty good. It was almost it felt more like a World Cup than a uh, uh, than a Euros to be fair, because um, you had so many games. But uh, I, I for one am not going to complain for for having soccer on my TV uh, every day of the summer. Um, well, yeah, Pat, let, how about we start off with you. Um, f- for you, who, who's the best-looking squad on paper for the upcoming Euros? I mean, it's got to be France, doesn't it? I mean, they just have depth in literally every position, and it's not these guys that are playing in the championship or playing in Turkey. They're guys that are all playing in top the top four leagues in the world. And, yeah, I, I don't really see any other team besides France I feel like they're going to run right in the group and then just pave their way to the final and bring home another another international trophy, which will be fun to watch. See Hugo Lloris bag another international trophy, win literally everything he can on the international stage before he does anything domestically, which would be a lot of fun. Um, well, and I, I, I do think we'd be remiss if you didn't mention the group that you just said France would breeze through. And I want to hold you to this because... It is an interesting group. You've got France, Portugal, Germany, and Hungary. And I remember uh, last year, it was Hungary actually made a, made a pretty good showing for, for what you would expect out of, a, out of a nation like Hungary. Portugal, of course, you got the defending Euro champions. Uh, not only do you have Cristiano Ronaldo uh, still at seemingly top form at whatever age he is now, and but you also have Bruno Fernandes, which, as a Man United fan, for me... I expect a lot out of him this Euros, and I think he, I think he could be a, a player to watch for. But then you have Germany, which is a very interesting team. And Scrad, we, we, when you look at a team like, like Germany that has disappointed a lot recently in recent years, uh, what's kind of your take on Germany, and, and what should a typical fan expect out of Germany, if anything? So it's interesting you bring this up. I think Germany is an enigma when you look at a squad like that because – on paper, they look great, right? They, they look like a really solid team. You have experience in the back line. You have arguably, one besides France, one of the best midfield lineups in the world. You've got Kimmich, Goretzka out of Bayern Munich. You've got Gunawan, who just came off the season of his life at Man City. The young, great Kai Havertz scoring a winning <laughs> goal. I mean, they look good. Their forwards, they have a nice forward line. Lou Arsane, Timo Werner, Kevin Vollen. It's funny, though, because I think Germany is the team dis- to a disappoint for me in this Euros. I don't think they have it in them again. I think after a disappointing showing in uh, the 2018 World Cup, I still just don't think it's here. I think uh, Lowe, the manager, it's his last tournament. I think he's a little bit past it in terms of everything in recent years. 
I think it's time for a new manager to come in. I don't think he's got it in him. And as much as I like all these players and I respect all the world-class talent that is there, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think they have it. I think there's a lot of other teams that have more talent overall that are better teams that play together better. So Germany is just not it for me this year. Well, and it's weird talking about a German national team like this, right? I mean, it's been so long since they've had a lull like this. But, uh, Scrat, I think you made a really good point. I think Joachim Lowe is pretty much 100% to blame for this downfall. Absolutely. And it, when you look at international management, you you see some nations like to do a bit of a rotation with you know each World Cup cycle or each Euro cycle, whatever. You see a, a man who's been there for so long that, and, and, and as you said, they're not even going to fire him before the tournament or let him go before the tournament. They're going to say, all right, you get one last tournament with the guys. And, you know, in some cases that, that, that helps and that works out. But, but, Pat, I don't know about you. I, I just, to me, he seems like a guy who the game has passed him a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how much the players love playing. He's, he's always kind of seemed like a weird guy. I mean, you know, we, of course, we don't know anything, but, I mean, he's been caught picking his nose on the <laughs> sideline. Like, this guy is uh, – uh, what's kind of your take on, on Germany and, and Lowe? I mean, they've, I mean, they're as, – as Nick touched on, I mean, they've just – they have so much talent in every part of their of that team. And I, I, it's just – it's criminal that they're not – just dominating on the world stage every Euro World Cup cycle. Because, I mean, and I mean, as you said, Lowe is very much to blame for that. And But I think, like, I think a lot of the players will realize, like, what Joachim Lowe has maybe done for their career, and they'll try and give him the send-off he, I guess, deserves. But uh, I think a lot of the guys are going to be looking forward to playing under Hansi Flick for the next 10 years. So yeah. I think they're just going to be kind of like this This tournament's a wash. It was supposed to be last year. Let's just get it over with. Yeah, I, I think you're right, With especially with Flick coming in. I mean, the the Bayern way, just it seems to be the right way. It's been the right way yeah, for the last whatever, 10 what years. It, whatever whatever he's doing at Bayern. When you, have, when you have half the Bayern starting 11 on the Germany national team, like it kind of helps when you have the guy that won a trophy every what was it, like 13 games or something for Byron? Right. Brought a trophy into the club in his year and a half that he was there. So, also, I did want to build off real quick, Sam. I think you made a great point about how a lot of teams swap managers and things like that for their rotations for national tournaments. And when, you know, the World Cup happens every four years, the Euros every two years, you're getting, uh, you're getting different squads every time. So you can't have a guy that's been – I think a guy that's been there, you know, 10, 15 years is a guy that wants to play the way he does 10 years later that he did with a team 10 years ago that is just not going to work because it's not the same group of players. And I just don't think – I think you have to adapt and change, especially in today's game with the amount of young talent that we have and everything. You've got to adapt and change. And I just – like I said, Joachim Lowe is not it. I Yeah, I agree. And and, and I agree that also I have, I have Germany as my team to disappoint as well. But as we take a look to towards some dark horses, uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier, the changing of this format for the Euros where uh, some third-place teams will be able to go into the knockout rounds, I think it, it, it's poised for, um, for having some dark horses. And, and we saw that in, in, last, uh, in, in Euro 2016, or, uh, Portugal being one of those teams that finished third and getting into the, the knockout rounds and eventually going on to win it, of course. As we look at dark horses, Pat, we'll start with you. Um, you know, it's always tricky picking a dark horse because you're typically picking a team that nobody wants to pick. Uh, but, but, but who do you have as your dark horse for this Euros? I've got the Netherlands for me. I mean, after two successive, uh, I didn't even qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Right. Right. Uh, and then they didn't do much of anything at the Euros if they even qualified. I can't even, they, I honestly dis- can't even remember. And they disappointed in, in Euro 2012. That That was kind of the... Euro, I, I look back at Euro 2012 and, and, and see that as kind of the start of the downfall for this modern era of, of, of Holland. And it's weird to be talking about Germany as the team to disappoint, Netherlands as a dark horse. Um, but, but but you're right, Pat. It's like th- this team has done next to not. You're right. I don't even. I did they qualify for the last Euros? I think maybe, but 
they didn't make any noise at all whatsoever. But they've they've kind of they've they've stepped into the to the shadows, um, and and are a team of the past. And and so so when you look at Holland, why do you choose them as a, as a dark horse? I think they just have everything to prove, and I don't think anybody is really expecting them to do much. I mean, they're kind of a team very similar to the U.S. where they're built around a lot of young guys, and then they throw in a few guys that have been playing for a while, and they have the experience. Um, but I think what group are – who else is in their group? Let me – so they've got Austria, North Macedonia, and Ukraine. Yeah, that's, I, a, I, that's I, a steamer of a group right there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think <laughs> – I mean, I think Netherlands easily come out as winners of that group. Um, but, but yeah, they, I mean, they, I think if they get momentum early, they're going to be a very hard team to beat. And you saw that kind of in the way that they played against Scotland, um, which is kind of pathetic to say that they couldn't yeah. beat Scotland. But uh, the way that they kind of just kept fighting back, and they just did not die. And they didn't care that it was an international friendly. They wanted to win the game. And, of course, they drew, I think it was either 1-1 or 2-2. Um, but, I mean, they just showed a lot of fight and a lot of the grit that we were talking about with the the U.S. team. And right. I think if they get off to a really good start, I think they're going to be next to impossible to beat. I'm, gl- I'm glad that you mentioned Scotland there because Scotland's actually my dark horse. And, I, and I'll explain it to you because it is kind of a cheeky dark horse pick. But y- you look at last last Euros, and Wales was kind of the, the dark horse that came out, right? They, they were upsetting teams left and right, made all the way to the semis. Um, and, and you look at that Welsh team, and I'm not saying that the, the, the skill level is anywhere comparable, but it's a, it's a similar thing going on with Scotland where they're a tight-knit group of players. They haven't qualified for an international tournament since World Cup 98. And here they are on this grand stage, and look who's in their group. England, that's the big one. If you're neutral and you're looking for a, a, a match to watch during these Euros, watch England versus Scotland because that it's similar to a Mexico-United States game where you know it's always going to live up to the billing, right? And I, I think a game like that for Scotland, uh, they'll be so up for that. And I mean, they'll be up for every game, but but England-Scotland, and it's going to be on the mainland. That That is that is a, a rivalry unlike any other. They, they also play Croatia, which is, is a very tough team to beat. But we've seen Croatia be inconsistent in tournaments, right? And, and, and it seems like Croatia's golden generation is beyond them now. Um, and as we look at Czech Republic, um, I mean, it, it, one, one of those teams that benefited from uh, the Euros expanding to 24 teams, right? Is Petr uh, Czech still in goal for them? Right. It, it's, it, it, it's, na- name, me a, name me a Czech player. It, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. I, when, I, when I look at Scotland, I, I, I think... If you're going to look for dark horses, Scotland's got a lot going for them right now that I think is uh, is favorable favorable for them being a, a dark horse. Scrat, have you given us your dark horse yet? No, and I would like to say that this, I think, is a true, along with Sam, a true dark horse, a team that not many would pick to go far in this tournament. But I am rocking with Turkey as my <laughs> Turkey's in Group A. And they play with Italy, Wales, and Switzerland, which I think gives them off the bat a decent shot to get out of the group. Turkey has a core group of players that are extremely talented. We've got Soyuncu out of Leicester, Hakan Chalanoglu from AC Milan, Ozan Kabak, who just played Liverpool's second half of the season as center back. And then my two favorites of this tournament, Yusuf Yaziki and Barak Yilmaz. <laughs> Led Lille to their first League One title. Oh, great shout. Ten years. These two are absolute gunmen when it comes to scoring goals. I am very excited to see them. Overall, I think that just the combined talent of Turkey, I think people sleep on Turkey. And honestly, a lot of people don't really know that Turkey is a European team if you don't really pay attention. True. And I think I think with the group that they have, they have a really good shot of making it out of their group, and it goes along with what Pat was saying about the the Netherlands. You give these guys a little bit of momentum. They have experience, especially their gunmen, who in a long League One season come out and still pull it off against Neymar and Mbappe and PSG. I, I think Turkey is a good dark horse, and I think they're overall going to be a very fun team to watch. If you want to watch a team with a lot of talented players that you might have never really seen before, go throw on a Turkey match. You're going to enjoy yourself. 
and a lot of passion too. I, I would tell fans to 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 watch if you're going to watch the national anthems, which I, I love to do during an international tournament. Oh yeah, Turkey and Italy are going to give you great national anthem singing. They're they're poised for it. And I love the little shout out too because it gives me a chance to shout out Tim Weah, the U.S. striker, young U.S. striker who came yeah. on last night. It impressed me, to be honest. We won't have to go all the way back to our U.S. talk, but I will say a uh, great shout-out there from Scrad. And as we think about you know the Euros as a whole, uh, everybody likes to pick a top scorer, best goalkeeper. Pat, who are, who's, who's going to be your top scorer, and who, who is it not going to be Harry Kane? If, if you're not going to choose <laughs> Harry Kane, uh, who would you choose? I think Griezmann takes it for me. I think with the service he's going to get from that French team, he's going to kind of pull out his 2016 Euro form, and I think he's just going to be bagging goals, whether it be tap-ins from Mbappe's brutally hard shots to save and he just <laughs> taps it into an open goal, or he just plays like he did four years ago. I think he's going to be one of the main guys that's going to lead France probably if – if not to the final, then at least to the last four. I think they're going to ride him and Mbappe to kingdom come. So, Well, I, I was going to say, I've got Mbappe as my top scorer. I think, I mean, everybody talks about the end of, of Messi and Ronaldo and the beginning of Mbappe and Holland, and I, I think that's definitely going to be the case. And, and Mbappe, I mean, he's just so spoiled with talent around him. I mean, he's going to have Conte serving him in. As you said, he's got a striker partnership with Griezmann. It, I, I think I think you guys are right. I think France is, is a team that, that could run away with it. I think what's holding them back is the fact that they're France. They, are, they have traditionally been known as head cases in national tournaments, and I wouldn't be surprised if it happened again. Um, as we look towards goalkeepers, though, who, who are you guys keeping in mind in terms of goalkeepers? For me, I, I'm on the lookout for, for an individual like Dean Henderson, who still has a lot to prove this summer. Um, who are you guys looking at? Well, I would say, real quick, throwing it in there, I'm finishing off the front three for top score and going with Karen Benzema. He's on revenge tour after finally joining the France team again. He's coming back, and he's got something to prove He's telling Didier Deschamps, you should have had me on the squad from the start. But that being said, goalkeeper-wise, I think this is an interesting one. And honestly, if David De Gea starts, I'm rocking with David De Gea because I think he's had a really rough time in recent history. I love that pick. And I did. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to go get with a new squad, get back on top, because we all know how talented of a goalkeeper he is overall. I think people forget that not in very recent history, he was the world's best goalkeeper. And I'm ex- I'm hopefully excited to see some of that form bounce back this year. Scratta, I, I could not agree with you more. And I don't mean to interrupt you, Pat. I'll let you go. But I I am such a De Gea stan. I love that. I mean, he, he kept Man United in top four for at least two seasons. Single-handedly. He was – he – and you're right. I think I think he can capture that form. We've seen him in international tournaments like the last World Cup uh, have a blunder against Portugal. Um, but on his game, I agree. He can, he can be a standout keeper in this tournament. Pat, we'll swing it over to you. I think mine, uh, the 22, 23-year-old, the 22, 23-year-old Italian, Gigi Donnarumma. I think mm. he's going to have a tournament to remember, and I think he's going to be with that Italian team that we really haven't talked much about. And right. they are they on paper, going back to Zach's question, I think Italy on paper are if not the best one of. And I think is gonna play an instrumental hand in that. And I think he's just gonna be pulling saves out left and right, keeping that Italian team in the game when they need him. And I think this is his I think this is his first major tournament. Correct, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, yeah. Um, I think he's going to pick up where Gigi Buffon left off, and he's going to bring home some silverware for the Italians. That's a, that's a great shout. And, I, and as I think about Euro 2016, I think Italy was probably one of the best teams to not win, or at least not even go to the final in that tournament. Italy really impressed me last tournament, and and they're kind of similar to the French team. If they can get out of their own way, both like with mental and just like behind the scenes sorts of things. If they can get out of their own way, they can be fantastic. I, I think I think that's a great shout. Uh, I'm going to put you boys on the spot here. We're going to go through each group, and you guys are going to tell me who you think is going to come out of it. 
Top, Alrighty. We'll, we'll do top two teams again. The third team could come out, but let's let's keep it traditional and go top two teams. We got Group A. We got Turkey, Italy, Wales, and Switzerland. I'll start us off. You know, I gotta pick my boys, Wales. I I, I live there. It's 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 a, it's a, it's a different type of thing there. You, I respect you know, it. I I got I gotta pick my boys in, in Wales, and uh, we just got done gassing up Italy. I gotta take Italy. I don't think. Switzerland, they kind of crumbled on, that, on the international stage, although I will say I, I was impressed by them in, in the U.S. friendly. Um, but, Pat, we'll go to you. Uh, I'm taking the page out of your book as well. I'm going Italy-Wales 1-2. Love it. I would be remiss to not rock with Turkey, my dark horse, Andy. <laughs> so that's who's getting out for me. That wouldn't be great if you uh, you didn't pick Turkey after just gassing <laughs> up for so long. <laughs> yeah. In Group B, we got Denmark, Finland, Belgium, and Russia. We got we got some Nordic and and some Eastern European stuff going on here. Uh, I mean, you get see, you would think that Belgium would be a, an easy pick, right? But uh, I'll still pick them, even with KDB out. Uh, and I'll go Denmark as well. They got a good history in, in the Euros. Uh, I'm gonna go Belgium, Russia, one two. I'm rocking Belgium on Lukaku's shoulders alone in Denmark. Perfect. Uh, group C, we got Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, and the mighty North Macedonia. <laughs> um, it's hard not to pick Netherlands, right? So I'll pick Netherlands. Ukraine, when you look at these international tournaments, I think it's also important to look at the political landscape at the time. Ukraine, they've got a lot of political things going on in, 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 in their world at the moment. And they even released uh, their Euro uh, 2020 uniforms and it's caused an uproar in Russia because they included Crimea which is <laughs> I love it <laughs> these, awesome. are, these are little mighty Ukraine I, I, I gotta take Ukraine I here. seem to just be repeating everything you say Sam hoping that I'm coming up with these on the spot hoping that you're not about to say Ukraine as well but I'm going the mighty Dutch one Ukraine two Interestingly enough, I'm taking the Netherlands, but I'm also taking Ukraine because of the fact that a majority of these guys play together on club level at Dynamo Kiev, and they're just hopping right back into it together for uh, their national team. So I think Ukraine are going to be another team to watch in this tournament. I like that. That's a great shout. Looking at, at the amount of players from the same clubs and same league even, it, it could be a big, big factor here. Uh, Group D, we got England, Croatia, Scotland, and Czech Republic. Again, I got to go with the dark horse Scotland. They're not going to top the group. They, this might be one where they get third spot, uh, and then I got to go England as well. I think I think Croatia are going to be unimpressive, um, and then again, Czech Republic seems to be one of those teams that uh, you know they don't they don't make much noise in an international tournament. Finally, we disagree, Sam. <laughs> uh, I'm going England one, and then even though we just kind of ruthlessly shat on the Czech Republic, I'm going Czech Republic too. I think they're gonna they're gonna pull out a performance. I feel that Wales did four years ago, where they're like, "How? Wait, what? You're, you're in the knockout stage now. Let alone in the tournament, or even with Iceland as well." Um, so I think it's going to be England one, the mighty Czechs two. Well, funnily enough, I'm taking England as well, but I would never turn my back on the homeland of the Skradskis. Croatia is getting out of the group. It is Luka Modric's last round. In an international tournament, I believe in the boys. I love it. And I, I, sh- I shouldn't be so dismissive of Croatia either. I just think they're getting a little too old. I think their they're, they're, uh, they're golden era is just a little too old here. It won't be able to have enough impact. But I wouldn't be surprised if Croatia I – mean, I mean, we're talking about a team that, that was in the World Cup final in 2018, right? Um, but as I said, I just – I've seen them disappoint a lot on the international well, stage. I, I will say I want to give a quick shout-out to Miroslav Orsic, who single-handedly dismantled Tottenham Hotspur in the <laughs> and happens to be the best player in the Croatian uh, football league over the past three or four years straight. Dynamo's a grab, right? There is yeah. some youth there that has some talent. With their manager, oh, who yeah. I must say is in prison. We lost <laughs> yes, to a team sir. whose manager... Was in prison. Oh, that's uh, right. That was that, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, we'll go to Group E here. We got Spain, Sweden, Poland, and Slovakia. Don't sleep now, boys. I think this could be a, a sneaky good group here. We we've got some uh, some teams that can that can pack a lot of punch here. Uh, I mean, you got to go Spain, right? They got to finish top here. 
Um, and I'm going to go Poland. I think I think the Lewandowski train is going to continue on through the summer. Um, it's hard to pick against them. I think Sweden's got a got a decent team. Uh, to be frank, I just don't know enough about Slovakia to even give them a, a puncher's chance here. Uh, so first, I need to correct myself. The uh, Dejan Kulishevsky, who I mentioned earlier, with who's rumored maybe with Spurs, he's Swedish, not Ukrainian. Um, so yeah. in that on that note, uh, <laughs> I'm going Sweden one, Poland two, with Spain taking the third spot. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, Cheeky. I'm, I'm going Spain because I think they have one of the most talented squads in this tournament this summer. And then I'm taking my number two. I'm hopping on the train with Sam. And quick hot take, if Conte doesn't have the tournament that I think he's going to have and Lewandowski does with Poland, Lewandowski for Ballon d'Or, if not Conte. Ooh, I like that. That, that, that'll be a good discussion for a midsummer oh, yeah. podcast. We'll, we'll save that for down the road, but I'm just throwing <laughs> it out there right now. And finish it off in group, 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 group F, we have Hungary, Portugal, France, and Germany. A, a lot of people oh. are, are, are coining this the, the group of death, as we always have in every tournament. I, I, think, I think it's got to be Portugal and France here. Um, I just I can't I haven't seen enough from Germany recently. I mean they they didn't they lose to North Macedonia? I mean in World Cup qualifying that is I I just I haven't seen enough from Germany to pick them. So I, I got to go Portugal France and I don't think Germany will get that that third spot. Yeah I'm on the same wavelength. I'm going France one, Portugal two. I concur. Same here. There we go. Well we seem to be on the same page for a lot of these. Um, so. It's it's inevitable that that's not how it's going to shake up, and it's just going to be a dark horse tournament of the makes ages, it way but. more exciting. Oh, that's awesome! Well, last last uh, last week we talked about doing an MLS minute, and uh, Pat, I see you giving me a finger. Do you want me to skip the MLS minute once again? <laughs> you Euro snob! <laughs> I have uh, a quick fan question regarding the Euros that we oh. need to touch on. Um, so this uh, question is: Which squad will receive the most sending offs at the Euros? Oh, that's a that is that's a fantastic a, who, uh, question. Can we get a the, yeah? Who, who asked? asked? My good friend from my childhood, Caleb Fotenhauer. Caleb, right, shout out great Caleb. question. That is a great question. I'm inclined. I I like Italy because you know, hot hot heads. I like Russia too. Too much testosterone. Um, Scotland will be good for one or two, one or two red cards. <laughs> um, I think I, I got to go Italy. I'm rocking with Hungary for this one. I think Ooh. teams they're playing those those poor center backs are gonna <laughs> one too many times, man. I'm gonna go with North Macedonia. I think they're going to come the second match of that group. I think they're just going to be so frustrated with how everybody <laughs> is just running riot around them that they're just going to start going studs up into every challenge. And if we're not going to win the game, you're going to lose a few players along the way. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going North Macedonia with two red cards. I want to counter that question with who's going to have the most VAR decisions in their favor? Oh. France, one hundred percent. It's France. They're just gonna get everything because they always do. It's going to be France. I think I got, I got Spain. You know what? I'm actually on the same with uh, Sam here. I think Spain as well. I think they're going to have a ton in their favor. I guess at the, I guess at the same time too, though, we need to kind of say that not every VAR decision is extremely controversial. If the guy is offside, he's right. offside. Um. England will have the most against them, though. I do got to throw. I agree. Are there? I, agree. I can't wait to see it from all the England fans on. Yep. Twitter. It's gonna be ridiculous. <laughs> are there? Are there any countries here that? This. I mean, I honestly don't know the answer to this question. Are there any countries, uh, like in these groups, that like in their domestic leagues don't use VAR? I would assume you. North Macedonia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I guess I kind of figured them as well. Um. Maybe Hungary as well. Slovakia. Well, Sam, you uh, I'm just you want to hit us with the poorest nation on this uh, list? Long-awaited MLS minute. Finally, it's ladies and gentlemen. I've been looking Google. forward to it. So here's how we're gonna do the MLS minute, folks. Uh, we didn't get to do it last time. We got enough MLS in last time. I was happy. 
But any, any, any show, we do not talk enough about the MLS. At the end of the show, I will have an MLS minute where I time myself. Give, me, give myself one minute, and I'll go through all the news in the MLS because the MLS deserves more news time, and Pat knows it. And def- despite him being a Euro snob, this is going to happen every single, <laughs> every single podcast we have, unless you know the MLS just becomes a 20-minute topic of ours. All right, starting now. All right, MLS is finalizing a plan to create its own third division league in 2022 with, quote, over half the MLS clubs involved, according to The Athletic. Of course, this is somewhat controversial with uh, the USL, United States Soccer League, having such immense growth in the, in the past few years and also um, occupying the second, third, and fourth division in this country. My question is, is, is could this be a benefit to, some, to have some of this competition, however? Um, sometimes it is good to have competing leagues like this. Um, in other news, according to MLS Buzz and the Orlando Sentinel, Orlando City have set a, a $20 million transfer tag for Daryl DK. DK, of course, played uh, at Barnsley this past year and scored nine goals in 21 games. Sporting Kansas City have received more offers from Serie A clubs for midfielder Gianluca Busio. Busio is currently 19. He was also the third youngest player to ever start an MLS game. And, of course, the new club starting next year, Charlotte FC, will sign Christian Fuchs from Leicester coming in January. And that was your MLS Minute, folks. It was fantastic. Beautiful. Beautiful. That was Pat, lovely, Sam. Pat did not think I was going to be able to get that in a minute, and uh, I proved you wrong, brother. I don't I, I, I don't think I ever doubted you. I just thought that was a lot of information to get across like where you're not speed talking so that the, the listeners nah, can't hear lovely. you. it was lovely. It was I'll be lovely. honest. I, I started speed talking there at the end. Uh, I, w- I looked down at my phone and I had 30 seconds left and I was only f- through my first point. So, uh, <laughs> so it was a bit like USA Mexico where it was, you know, at the start you're like, oh, this is not going well whatsoever. This is a terrible idea. And then it ended up being great. And I, uh, I-, I scored a last minute pen. Uh, call me Christian Pulisic. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Pat, as always, how about you finish, finish us off by uh, telling the fans fans we're already calling them fans huh? yeah. uh listeners uh <laughs> casual listeners how they can reach us uh if they'd like to get involved with this pod yeah so feel free to email us any question or any topic of discussion you'd like us to go over to football enthusiasts 442 at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at 44 brew pod you can send us dms you can tweet at us and we'll try and respond as soon as we can We've, uh, I enjoyed tweeting last night during the U.S. game. That was fun, a little live tweeting. Uh, we are having people who we don't know listen to the show and also tweet at us, which has been awesome. Uh, welcome all the strangers from all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> so don't many podcasts to, to listen to. Don't so be many, shy to keep tweeting. So many podcasts to listen to, and you choose us for some reason. We love it. <laughs> Skrasky, got any last comments, buddy? Uh, I just want to say it's it may not be soccer related, but go Big Red. Let's beat Arkansas tonight. Yes, sir. All right, Pat. Anything else? No, I've got nothing left to say. <laughs> Perfect. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>